Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining me today on Diamond and Diamond Lawyers LLP podcast, real estate division. Uh, I'm very happy to have an amazing guest here today, Reiki Dingra from Mortgage Savvy. Welcome, Reiki. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with you today. You know, it's 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 really awesome that we get to do these kind of podcasts, and bring professionals in to learn about them and, and from different areas. And um, so you have a really unique um, perspective on in, in the mortgage broker game, because there's not many brokerages like yours that I see on social advertising. You're, you're really um, out there in terms of getting some engagement. And I want to talk about that today. But before we get there, I think we got to let everyone know, you know, how did you get into this industry? Where did you start? Um, you know, did you wake up at 12 years old and say, I'm going to be a mortgage broker and then go through that? You know, because um, I know someone asked me the other day, uh, did you want to be a lawyer when you're 12? I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I wanted to be an astronaut and a basketball player. And then you kind of end up on this path. So tell us. That's a great question. Um, sometimes I reflect back and I'm amazed at to, you know, I never imagined myself in the real estate or the mortgage industry. Um, my path here is I come from a family that is very dedicated to building wealth through real estate and having been around it for most of my life, it was something I naturally learned through watching, hearing, listening, and watching other family members build sort of a real estate empire over time. Um, so is that your parent? Your parents were involved in real estate? Is that the, my absolutely? So my my parents, my uncles, my aunts, but more importantly, also my significant other, my my partner, and my husband at the time was a mortgage broker that okay. you know focused a lot on the private lending space, and I saw individuals very often end up in situations where there wasn't an exit strategy on the upfront. Um, and that's where I wanted to start crafting solutions and helping people. The intention was to really help, uh, but it was also to build my own personal empire. <laughs> I was right. motivated. I had my daughter in 2011. I was blessed with the opportunity to stay home with her for a few years, coming from a very strong sort of finance background, more so corporate banking. So I, you worked at one of the, the corporate banks. I did. No, I you did. did not. Really? Absolutely. I totally would not have guessed for that. For 14 years as which, well. Which one? Um, Citibank. So I worked wow. for Citibank Canada in the corporate banking space. Um, a lot of travel between New York and Toronto yeah, as imagine. a relationship associate. So I was always very, my skill set lies in really building connections with people. That must have been fun though. Like you get to go around the world and meet people and people that have wealth or you're shaking your head like, no. No, it was the best time when right out of university, it was, it was the dream job, right? To be able to travel, to be able to network and connect. Um, it was a great way of, of building connections. But obviously over time, you get tired and your, your sure. focus is family and your focus is creating that balance and starting to plan for yourself and your own future as well. Right. Right. So you, you go through the city bank, you're like, I'm done. You have your daughter, you get a, you know, a couple years at home to kind of reflect and see what you want to do. And then you kind of wake up and say, I built my wealth for the first few years of, of sort of settling down through real estate. Okay. And real that for yourself or as a broker or no, for myself personally. Okay. My focus was to also be mindful of my debt and create a life by financial design. I enjoyed traveling. I enjoyed having time with my daughter. I needed something to dabble in. And I had seen what we were able to do. We purchased our first property in 2008. 
closed in 2010. Okay. And by 2016, I had doubled my initial sort of the entire value of the property had doubled. Wow. And that was more than what I would have been able to do by going to work and climbing that corporate ladder. So I needed to take a moment to step back and figure out a strategy for passive income. Okay. So, and that's a big risk. How old were you when you bought your first investment property? So I was young. Oh. <laughs> um, we went out for a drive. By the and- way, for everyone, she's still young. That's not the issue here. We're, that was six months ago. No, I'm joking. But, but yes. But I was, I was in my twenties at the time that I, you know, ventured out on a drive and decided, you know, living downtown Toronto in a condo renting at the time, it was the best sort of financial decision that I made. I drove until I could afford something. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And did you rent it out or is that kind of like where you moved in afterwards? So we moved in, we moved in a month after our closing and we built, you know, had my daughter built a family and realized that the most precious commodity truly is time. Right. And that although I was always a very ambitious person and had goals, I wanted balance. Right. And so real estate sort of became a vehicle to doing that, you know, looking at the option of refinancing, leveraging debt to build wealth. Right. And so that's, is that what you did with that first property? You, you leveraged it and then bought, you know, secondary property, Correct. et cetera. Correct. Interesting. And so, you know, for, for people who are listening, who are young, uh, investors and, you know, we talk about being under 30, cause I, I truly believe in that too, is it's a big risk to swallow. And, you know, if I look back 20 years ago and I, you know, my 46 year old self will tell my 25 year old self, the best piece of advice was, don't be scared, right? It's a scary situation when you're 25, 26, 27, and you're buying your first, you know, investment property. You have no idea what you're going to do. Um, what, what was going through your head at the time? Were you scared? I was, it's natural. The first time you do anything in life, there is an element of sort of uncertainty, which can cause fear. So I think fear is a natural emotion, but that's where you equip yourself with the information knowledge and guidance that you need. Right. And so did you, you, I mean, I guess you had that guidance with your family and so on to say to you, Hey, don't worry. Or were they kind of like, no sink or swim on your own. So believe it or not, I chose to buy, we went and we kind of made more of an aggressive mood. I went and bought my forever home. Okay. And I actually did it on my own. Wow. Without any support or any guidance. That's great. And and are you still there now? That's your, I am. I am. And I reflect back to 2008. It's a very, it was a very similar market to where we're sitting today. Right. There were shifts. No one was buying. And I thought opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Something in, you know, I've always been one to look at opportunity, you know, not necessarily follow what everybody else is doing, but my mentality is do the opposite. No, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's some, some different things out there when it comes to real estate, but obviously it's very easy to, buy high, sell high, you know, buy low, sell low, but to be able to time that, that market where you're buying low and selling high or refinancing, it actually makes it, um, you know, it has to be almost perfect, like within months, right? Cause we're now dealing with an opportunity now, I think absolutely, where, you know, people are scared because interest rates are high, but market has cooled off significantly. And if you can hold it off for six, seven, eight months you know, I think most people, most educated people will know that those rates are going to eventually come down and that would help you in the long term. So I guess did, at that point when you, okay, so now 2008 goes by, you buy your favorite home. Is that when you decided to start mortgage savvy or how long after that? 
So I started Mortgage Savvy. I got my mortgage license in December of 2015 and Mortgage Savvy sort of came to light in, in 2016 when it was my goal to help one additional family. So licensing was to build my own portfolio and I was going to help a couple of families along the way. Right. And that when you say build your own portfolio, is that you, uh, leverage your own investments? Correct. I get it. Okay. Correct. So I was building my own. I was educating myself. It was a plan to help clients focus on debt repayment, being mortgage-free, how right. you live your mortgage is how you live your life. Um, but also building an investment strategy. So I had a daughter at the time. I wanted to be able to provide for her versus investing in an RESP. You know, I chose to buy her an investment property for the future. Yeah, it's funny. I almost wish, you know, I, and here's another thing about being scared. When I, when I had my first child, I was 29 and everybody and their mother told me to put into an RESP. I now kind of stuck into that vehicle. But if I look at how much money I've spent a year on it, you're right. I think I would have much rather have put it towards a property and just rented it out and kept it long-term because, you know, 15 years later, the market would have done a lot better, but nobody was there to tell me that. And that's the key piece Mortgage Savvy was an accident, I often say. Um, our premises, you provide enough value, you provide enough education, you handhold coach and support. And the value and the client trust builds, and there comes the opportunity to support clients in purchasing properties and executing mortgages. And that's what we do. Wow. Um, so I listen, I know a lot of agents, and some of them are very good, and some of them are not so good. And people that I come across just along the way. But it's it's interesting because a, a lot of the time, at least what you feel, not as a lawyer, because I, I deal with them on a regular basis, but as a consumer, sometimes I feel like, hey, the mortgage broker is just there to make their commission on the on the on the house. And therefore, you know, once I get my mortgage, I'm never going to hear from them again. And they're just going to sell me what's good for them. And, you know, I, I guess that kind of uh, skeptical uh, view of, of how we look at anybody's service. Cause people look at me the same way as a lawyer, right? They're going to say, Isaac, you're my lawyer. You're helping me out with this real estate transaction or personal injury case or litigation. And then once, once you were done, I'm never going to hear from you again. And, and it's not like that in my field. I assume it's not like that with you either. So the industry as a whole can be very transactional. Uh, we're very much in the business of developing relationships and providing oversight. So whether it's sort of tax planning, right? right? Insurance planning, focusing on the future, capital gain exposure. So we take a very sort of overarching strategy to our connection with our clients and the guidance we provide. We're looking to poise ourselves as being their strategic advisors. And I think the shift in the market and with the mortgage rates being what they were, we saw them dip to all-time lows. And then we saw, you know, increase quite rapidly and right. affect people's day-to-day. -day. It's important to have an advisor, somebody that's in it with you, preparing budgets, providing you with that support. If you're getting one of those letters in the mail um, where a lender is indicating that you've hit your trigger rate without that coaching and support, that can be very scary. Right. So I do think that we've taken a very different approach with how we support clients. I want to be their strategic advisor. I had a client earlier this afternoon message me and say, we're looking at a vehicle. Does this monthly payment fit within my monthly budget to continue to hit my goals and be comfortable? And you told them, no, it's not a good idea to buy a Lamborghini. <laughs> When no, just <laughs> um, so when you when you talk to a client and you're you know they tell you look what what do you need to know I mean are they telling you this is how much we make is that all you need or you need to know more Oh absolutely I had a client this morning um, young couple have recently had their first child 
she's going to back, back to work in 12 months. A credit report's not going to show me what childcare costs are going to reflect like right. in the next six months. Right. And that can be the equivalent of a mortgage payment at times. So I want to understand the client's long-term goals. I want to understand expenses outside of what may be visible on a credit report. Now, do you ever meet a client and say, your long-term goals are not what they should be? Let me, let me help you change your long-term goals and, 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 or let me fix them for you or let me, let me change your path because you see that there's so much more potential? I absolutely do that on an ongoing basis, but we, we pace it. We are helping clients with sort of an immediate need, educating them, providing them with that additional sort of support with respect to budgeting. And through those conversations, these goals and these sort of visions of what they want their future life to look like evolve over time. And we coach and support our communication with clients is usually even more so frequent after the transaction closes versus on the forefront. Right. And I find that clients find that, you know, very surprising. I'll give you another example. This weekend, we had a closing. One of our relationship managers is in the client's living room. Obviously, we're delivering dinner. want to ensure that they're, you know, having some time to unwind and relax in their new space. But we're also using that time critically to source information on where their future goals are and how we can come in to provide that added support and plant those seeds to ensure that the clients know that we're here and we want to help them get to their long-term goals. Got it. And so does Mortgage Savvy, do do you specialize in a, a certain clientele or types of mortgages? What I mean, what would you say your, your niche is? So we do it all. We help, you know, the first time home buyer enter their first property. Um, we help those that are looking to kind of continue to, you know, they've grown out of their space and they're looking to potentially you know, focus on their forever home. We help clients with refinances. I often call that live better, <laughs> make yeah. better financial decisions, reallocation, um, investor clients as well. So I think we do a little bit of it all. I often will say with pride that we're skilled at helping self-employed individuals secure mortgages at the A level at the lowest sort of market rates. Right. And when you say A level, that means bank. I Correct. Assume, right. Correct. We're really great at breaking the box on standard lending guidelines by really truly business case building. Right. And so let's let's assume, you know, we had somebody walk in today. It's a young couple. They're 30 years old. They just had their first child. They come to you and they say, um, I have I have a house. We want to move up. Um, but we're looking for an investment strategy. Is there any kind of advice or general advice that you would kind of give them to say, Hey, this is where I think this is what I think you should do. Or how, you know, how, how does that work? You know, you walk in them and risk giving, I know it's a horrible example because I just <laughs> literally threw out some no, numbers no, no. there, but it's, it's a great sort of example. So when a first client walks through the door, it's important to kind of give them a vision to focus on. So the vision for me, for most clients is, is, you know, we try and keep it simple. So it's easy for them to digest, but it's one primary and two investment properties. And the focus is that over the years, you're going to refinance your investment to pay off your primary. And the faster we can get you into your long-term forever home, the faster we can kind of get you to really focusing on the strategy of having freedom. Right. Because how you live your mortgage is often how you live your life as well. It's true. You know, I never, I actually don't know what life would be like without a mortgage payment. Right? I, I, like, I have no idea. I think about it all the time. And I mean, you know, it goes up and down and I, it's kind of just something used to. And, and I have three kids and sometimes I look at my wife and I say, you know, if we didn't have a mortgage, you know where we could go? Do you know, you know where we could travel? And I, I feel like I can't be the only one. 
Absolutely. We're all chasing that sense of freedom. And regardless of what our financial goals are, life often gets in the way. Right. So having a formulated strategy of, you know, two potential investment properties that continue to appreciate over time, where you're able to utilize that equity to eventually be mortgage free yeah. on your primary. Do does keeping up with the Joneses term kind of play a factor in what you see going forward? Um, where, you know, exactly what you were saying is that life gets in the way. So all of a sudden, you know, you have this great plan and majority of the people then will call you and say, Hey, I now want to do X. I need more money. Or now I want to do Y because my, my kitchen isn't nice enough or my bedroom needs renovations or I want to build a pool. And a lot of that really is not stuff that we needed. I'm guilty of it too. Right. I'm not, I'm not saying no. Right. We come home and I get, you know, you're just like, I can't look at my bedroom anymore. And you're ready to go refinance to go spend 30 grand or whatever it is to go to go do it. And part and parcel of that is kind of keeping up with everything around you. Absolutely. Up until, you know, the last few years, we saw record, we continue to see really record low rates and consistent appreciation of the market. So we were many households and, you know, we're living beyond their means and leaning on unsecured through to credit to, to basically debt service their lifestyle. And every year, go to the bank, apply for a refinance, clear, you know, tap into the equity that right. is supposed to be future savings to be able to debt service your lifestyle. So absolutely. Um, with the shift in the market, that's what I believe has caused a lot of these sort of uncomfortable moments for a number of families and households as well. And, you know, we're, we're talking about a moment in time. Obviously, rates are very high mm -hmm. right now. And when I say very high, I mean, maybe you can you can chime in. You know, we've been around for a while. Rates haven't always been at one or two percent. Oh. I mean, I think the average Canadian mortgage rate is six and a half. If I'm not mistaken, don't quote me. It's around six and a half percent over a 30 year period or something like that, isn't it? So it's fallen. We've seen the bond market uh, fall. So we've seen rates come down quite significantly, even in the last few days. The rates are probably hovering closer to, I'd say, five and a half percent at the moment. Okay. Um, but that's sort of a great point because in 2018, rates were hovering around 5.25. That's right. the rate I secured at that time. So again, not very far off from where we were, where we're sitting now. And so do you see the the rates coming down in the future? The Bank of Canada announcement tomorrow. And the predictions are that, you know, rates likely hold. And as we head into 2024, start to come down. So if if I'm a, if I'm refinancing tomorrow, would the advice be not to refinance long term, I guess, like as opposed to one to two years, given that we don't know what's going to happen. So our focus really is either holding a three year product for a client to add their three year fixed, but also tracking the variable rate as well and and sort of being mindful of the spread between both products. Where the spread is less than 50 basis points, we're really encouraging the client to give some more attention to the variable rate product as, you know, it is anticipated that rates will continue to decline over time. Right. If I'm looking for a mortgage broker, why do I pick you? Why Reiki? Because we're in the business of hearing stories and offering solutions. We're really poising ourselves to help you achieve your long-term financial goals. Um, the industry is very transactional and it's nice to have a strategic advisor that you know you have access to that can provide you with the guidance that you need. We all get very busy and if we're really great at what we do, we're busy focusing on our time and attention. It's nice to have somebody else to defer to that you know is aware of your long-term strategy and goals and will give you the guidance needed to get there. Got it. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> you had one food you could bring to, to your office every day for the rest of your life. Which one is it going to be? Ketchup chips. Wow. Ketchup chips. Yes. It's a Canadian, uh, <laughs> Canadian invention. Um, what's your order at Starbucks? 
I actually don't have one. You're not a Starbucks person? No, I'm no? a Timmy's girl. Okay, so what's your order at Timmy's? I have lots of cream. <laughs> lots of cream. Just like as much as you can handle? Exactly. All right, got it. And um, if you had to be stuck on an island with something to keep you comfortable, it can't be a cell phone to get out, what are you bringing? I'd say my daughter. How old is your daughter? She's 12. Oh, that's a great age. And the, the bad, I have a 12 year old too. I want to, I, I hate her and love her. All <laughs> I can completely, completely <laughs> relate to that feeling. They're still a child, but they think they're an adult. Oh, so yes. It's like that in between yeah. phase. Keeps you bed. entertained. Go to bed. I will go to bed <laughs> now. I will. I will leave me alone. I'm old enough. I can share. That's all day, all day, all day. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? The Cayman Islands. Oh, why the Caymans? They're... Uh, they're a safe island. The weather is beautiful all year round. Great health care. And their economy runs on finance. Yes, that I know. That I know. I mean, it's not the same as it used to be. But I mean, in, in terms of like whatever. But there's a lot of people that feel like it's safe. The banks, a lot of Canadian banks. There a too. lot of Canadian banks. Right. And um, one vacation spot besides Cayman. One vacation spot. Where are you going? The Grenadines. The, the, oh, what is the Grenadines? I don't so know. So they're right off of um, the island of St. Vincent. Okay. Um, there are 32 islands and you can actually sail through the islands and they all offer a very sort of unique experience. Interesting. Is that like you have to do like a sailboat thing? Um, not necessarily. Um, they have catamarans for rent and or you can just pick an island to, to enjoy for, for a few days or a week. That's fun. That's mm-hmm. fun. And what's your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby, <laughs> um, my favorite hobby, I'd say, is I, I like to run. Oh, you run oh, like runner. every day? You're, you're I'm a runner every day. every day. Wow. Wow. That's commendable. I, I also run to the fridge <laughs> back when, when I need to. Um, and the last question that I have for you is, uh, no, away from the fun stuff. We talked a little bit about, you know, the market. What do you see in the next two years in real estate, in mortgages, trends, anything that you think are going to change the industry? So I believe that we're going to see an uptake in the market. I feel that we're personally sitting on a high number of pre-approvals. First-time homebuyers see that there's opportunity. You know, there's a little bit of, you know, nervousness in terms of knowing when to act. But I believe that as we enter into the new year, we'll see more inventory rates are expected to come down. So I I do anticipate that the market will start to rebound slowly and rates will come down again slowly. But I do think that 2025 will start to see an uptake in the market and prices will probably go back to where they were reflecting a year ago. So I think there's opportunity in this market. Um, If you're sitting with a low interest rate mortgage, you may want to look at potentially porting and buying that long-term home now right, and leveraging that low rate to your advantage. And if you're a first-time home buyer, that may be renting. When we kind of compare apples to apples, that differential is probably less than you are, than you are expecting. Rental rates are, are soaring at the moment. That's very true. It's very true. I mean, you, as long as you get the right, you know, renters, and if you don't and need a lawyer, then you can call me. <laughs> that's, that's where I come in. Um, you know, it's funny. I think also... We, we talk about, um, we talk about COVID and technology and I want to circle back to social media. How, how has social media changed your, um, you know, your business and your practice? 
Social media has been critical sort of in the growth of our business uh, from two perspectives. One, it gives us a forum to educate and keep our clients up to speed on what we're seeing in the market in our day-to-day. It allows us to keep them educated on the trajectory of rates, kind of ease any fears or any anxieties, but it also allows us to stay connected to our existing database and existing clients, ensuring that they know we're connected to them and that we're there to provide them with that ongoing support. I often refer to it as our new storefront. Uh, most of our clients will go to our social media presence sort of for, to validate who we are, you know, to help them decipher who they want to be building a long-term relationship with as well. So for us, it's been a game changer in how we do business. It's interesting. I, I you know, I, we used to be about 10 years ago, it was, if you didn't have a website, you're mm-hmm. illegitimate. And now it's, if you don't have a social media profile, you're almost illegitimate in, in that sense. And I think people want, you know, they want to see what you're doing. They want to see what you're up to. And that goes back to, I guess, your relationship, right? You know, not only do you have a relationship in person with these people, but you're also building a social uh, a social relationship over over the internet and whatever so that they can kind of keep track of what you're doing and vice versa. Absolutely. They want to know who they're working with as an individual, not just a business piece. Right. Thank you.